Welcome into another episode of ESPN's Ball in the Real World podcast, NBL edition. My name's Kane Pittman, alongside me, as he will be every single Tuesday, Olga Nulich and Olgs. Hi. The first thing I want to say, last time we recorded a podcast, we are in a Darwin hotel room. Uh-huh. Today we're in my kitchen. <laughs> From next week onwards, we'll be in the studio here at the ESPN offices slash studio in Richmond. Is this an upgrade from Darwin Hotel? That's all I want to know. I mean, I, I knew it was firstly great coffee in the cafe. <laughs> I didn't make it. Down near the, he didn't make it. Uh, down in the lobby. Um, and then I walked through some golden crusted, mm. like an archway mm. um, into a beautiful little lobby. Mm. Um, sent me through to like the moat um, <laughs> and then just over the footbridge. And, ah. and here I am. Yeah. It's it's nice to be here. It is. And doing podcasts, typically you get used to the timing being awful or just missing out on big news or big news dropping just after you do the podcast. But you texted me yesterday and we said that we think that this is the absolute perfect timing to do this podcast. So we finished the preseason edition from Darwin. And I think one of the last things we said was we didn't really talk about the 36ers, but They've got a delayed start to the season, so we've got time to get to the 36ers, but we're recording this around 20 hours after they rolled the Phoenix Suns (laughs) in really, quite honestly, spectacular fashion, 134 to 124, an absolutely insane shooting performance. I've got a serious question for you about this win coming up, but just in general, as you're watching this, what are you thinking about what is really a historic win for the Adelaide 36ers? So, you know, you, you start watching the game and they weren't missing, right? And usually, <laughs> and usually, and usually it just reverts to the mean at some mm-hmm. point. Um, and it just didn't. They just kept making shots. It was honestly incredible. Because usually, usually when, we, when we've seen these NBL teams go over, they struggle with the distance. Mm-hmm. And you, you, we saw it with like Mitch McCarron's shot, right? He's, he's not used to that distance. So he was jumping a bit forward, kind of chucking it a bit. But when you see like Rob Franks and Craig Randall, where they were pulling up from, the confidence they were shooting with, they they look like they belonged. Um, and like that's something we're going to talk about. And it's obviously something that's going to be speculated upon for the next few days, maybe weeks, I guess. Um, but it was weird. In, in Darwin, we, we sort of skipped the sixes, not on purpose necessarily, but with the understanding that they're probably going to be pretty good. They're not going to start the season until a bit later. So we're going to be talking about them enough. Um, I didn't think that we would be talking about them in this regard this early. Um, again, because the Suns, it's not like the Suns didn't want to win that game. Like They played their starters for a decent amount of time. Um, I thought they kept them in the third quarter longer than they probably should have, considering who they were playing against. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's a good, it's a good indication of just where the NBL is right now versus where like NBA role players are. And the, and how everyone has to approach that conversation as far as like contextually understanding that like NBA role players for the most part is like right place, right time. Mm-hmm. And it's not a case of NBA players being worse than NBA players necessarily. Like the elite ones are the elite ones. Um, but like I wrote in a column last night and from people I've spoken to overnight, like the gap is closing, especially just between your standard NBA player and your good NBA player. So the box score is just wild to look at. So you mentioned the starters for the Suns, and this isn't to take anything away from Adelaide, but 
the starting five for Phoenix all finished plus 11 in their 22-ish minutes. So, yeah, the other 26 minutes, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, you're probably looking at the bench and thinking, okay, that's a little bit concerning at the way this played out. Just some of the numbers that are incredible in this game. So Phoenix outscored Adelaide 64 to 30 in the paint. Adelaide had 22 turnovers. And I would say that those two numbers in isolation, you would suggest that they lost the game. Yep. Play, play this game 99 more times. It's yeah. Probably a Suns win. So maybe that's, but that might be overdoing it. Play, play it 99 more times. Sixers win two times. And because here's the thing it was a, an, an anomalous shooting game from the 36ers. That's just the reality. Do they have the talent to be able to? To have that sort of night? Absolutely. Yeah. But we also saw exactly the same thing throughout the preseason of them playing that style and not doing well. So it, it's we it's we went into this season knowing this. They are a high-risk, high-reward team. And this is the highest reward. So 24 made threes. And this is the last bit of trivia for you here before we move into what I think is the overwhelming po- positives of what this means for the 36ers. So... Yeah. 24 made three. So last year in the NBL, uh, in the NBA, I should say, on 21 occasions, teams hit at least 23 three pointers, 21 times. How many times do you think those teams won? Surely most of them. 21 and 0. 21 and 0. So yeah, if you if you hit this number of threes in an NBA game, you're gonna win. Yeah. Because the the math <laughs> It's just too many points. It's it's hard to keep up. So 24 made threes. To nine, so 15 by three. So plus 45 behind the three-point line is obviously a massive number, and that's how they were able to overcome the points in the paint. So I always, and I've been pretty big on this, the the NBA, uh, NBL preseason stuff in the NBA. So because I don't care about any team in particular, yes, I enjoy the league, but I don't care about any team in particular. You're an objective journalist. It's, well, it's, that's exactly that right. Exactly right. It's fun to watch these games. I had my feet up on the coffee table yesterday. I was like, this is awesome. Let's see who plays well. So we'll see good basketball. Everyone gets a bit of exercise. It's fun. But if I was an Adelaide 36ers fan, I'd be looking at the NBL already started. Now that they won, probably thrilled. Had a really fun day yesterday, but I'm looking at the NBL already started. I'm thinking, okay, well, we're going to play Tassie. This is game five for Tassie. We can get to Tassie later, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, is this the best preparation? And you spoke about your story in terms of the... NBA slash uh, NBL gap closing. I've got something coming later this week or early next week, just on how Adelaide are going to approach starting the NBL season behind the eight ball. Yeah. So with that in mind, this is a huge day for the league and for neutrals. So much fun, unless you hate the Adelaide 36ers. Yeah. But is this a big deal, a moderate deal or not a big deal in terms of NBL this season? As far as the, how it affects the yes like this coming season yeah um i think it's a it's a big deal for two reasons in one hand if the 36 ers are able to keep all of their players <laughs> yes. then this is an unbelievable confidence boost absolutely right again not just for rob franks and for craig randall and antonius cleveland and these guys who did really well also for mitch mccarran mm-hmm. who went out and had 16 assists against the point guard right that's really, really impressive, assists. right? Whatever you think about his ceiling as a professional, 16 assists in an M- in what is ostensibly an NBA game mm-hmm. is really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
having that sort of game going and, and I think they could do it against the Thunder too. The Thunder are not as good as the Suns, just like objectively. How much, um, so how much pressure is on the Adelaide thirty sixes if they just go two and zero in the NBA? I mean, it's 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 so weird because there's so much context to take into account. Because I think the style of play in the NBA is more suited to this thirty sixes team than the style of playing the NBL. Like, there's more space right. for for guys like Robert Franks and Craig Randall to do their thing. Mitch McCarron was coming off on balls and had so much room to operate. You don't get that in the NBL. Um, so that context is important too. But I think the confidence aspect of this is is so important going into this season, especially because we are seeing we're seeing some of the flaws of teams that we had considered like maybe favorites. Right. If you're looking at like the, the Bullets, for example, who we'll talk about for a bit, you know that they, they might have a slower start to the season than we thought, just because guys are getting acclimated to the league. Sobi is still coming back from his injury. Um, and so I know, coming into the league with this whole with a whole lot of confidence might do them a lot of good. Then the other side of it is, and this is why I think it's also a big deal. What happens if an NBA team in the midst of their preseason and they're dropping guys um, from their training camp deals and whatnot goes and offers Robert Franks a deal, whether it's a two way or whatever. Robert Franks is a six, seven, 25 year old, you know, I think elite shooter who can probably, who can guard multiple positions, right? He, he could be an NBA player. He wouldn't look out of place in the NBA. If they lose him, that's a big chunk of what they do on both ends gone. What happens if Craig Randall ends up getting a, some sort of deal? Like, does he swoop at it? Does Antonius Cleveland do the same thing? Because he's a two-way wing that is coveted in the NBA too. So it's a big deal because on one hand, they're either going into the season with a ton of confidence or they're going into the season potentially not having all their imports. Yeah, when you factor the age... And the skill set, Franks is the guy for me. And and you know, last year it was a weird situation in Brisbane. Yeah. I don't think it was the happiest of locker rooms. He still produced though, but he's number. I mean, he was seventeen and ten every night mm. on really a team that, to me, he wasn't getting the ball anywhere near enough. And we've already seen, and this is going to be an interesting thing. All right, I asked CJ Bruton about it in Darwin, just in terms of how many guys. They, that are going to want to eat on this team. Now, yesterday it was fine because they were all hitting every single shot that they took. And CJ said, well, he goes, at this time of year, everyone's happy. He's like, but we'll have some problems. Okay. So he's, he's aware at, at some point, maybe all these guys with what they want to achieve, what they want to achieve with the team, but individually as well, they're all used to being guys that get plenty of shots. I think the guy, so Frank's to me is clearly a guy that he's already probably on the NBA fringe. And don't forget, he was, he was hurt during summer league, so he missed that opportunity to show out there. Yeah, it was close to a deal in Russia, I believe it was. So Adelaide already had some concerns that he wasn't going to come back. He dropped thirty points in a game at the Blitz, where there was NBA teams that were there. He's only twenty-five. Like that, that I didn't, I didn't realize. That. I thought he was a little bit older. Yeah, no, I mean he is legit coming into his prime or the range where if you're an NBA team and you want to take a flyer on someone that you think is ready to produce right now. He's there, and then he has 32 yesterday. So a lot of the talk was about Craig Randall, but for me, I was just watching Robert Franks and everything that he can do was at an NBA standard. Mitch McCarron is one I want to ask you about. Though. I remember last year having a, I wouldn't call it an argument, I would say it was a spirited debate with the great Andrew Gaze about Mitch McCarron. Yeah. And so I said, and I don't think, so to me, I don't think that saying that someone's a role player is, is a negative word, particularly not in the modern 
uh, game where role players like Jack White, for instance, go, sure. go to the NBA. So I, I think that, so we were getting into it that I just said, I don't think that this roster with what people are asking Mitch McCarron to do puts him in the best chance, in the best place to succeed. This was last year's Adelaide last roster. Last year's Adelaide roster. Sure. But this year's Adelaide roster with all these guys that can do everything. We saw yesterday, because it was not just the 16 assists, but he's an elite rebounder as a guard. So he picked up nine rebounds as well. And they're all defensive, which always turns into transition plays. He was hitting the trailers. They were knocking down threes left, right, and center. So I don't, when I say role player, he's a he's an extremely good. He was all NBL team when he yeah. played in that Melbourne United team. But now he's back to that role where he's just facilitating everyone. He's connecting everyone. And he doesn't feel like he needs to score 20 points a night. So you can call it, if role player is not the word you want to use, then elite, that's, whatever it that's is. That's semantics. This is his, this is exactly where he wants to be. Yeah. I think the the title, like whatever yeah. verb, verbiage you use is semantics, right? It's This team is more similar to what the team he had around in him in Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. Right, where you have, you know, your elite shooter and Chris Golding, was Casey Prather, was Jack White there at that point, or it might have been Barlow. But it was just like a, it's just a super talented team around. So role player is probably the, the a wrong word. He's like an elite connector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably like the way you would frame him. And he looked like that in yesterday's game against the Suns. And there's a good chance he'll look like that all season. Um, and I, I think that's also key for Craig Randall, who is at the best of times erratic um, in the way he plays. And we've seen that because he went, what, nine of 17 from downtown against the Suns. But we've seen him go three of 17 yeah. from the field. That's against, a lot of threes. <laughs> against NBL teams, right? He's going to get them up. So having you know a steadying force, a glue guy, mm-hmm. a connector like Mitch McCarron is going to be good. And I, the NBA is not really a conversation for Mitch McCarron, right? It's just that style of player. Like he's he's not like a compazzo. He's not that sort of guy. Um, I think it's a conversation when we talk about the World Cup and right, boomers right, right. things when... So many guards. So many guards. And we've... The boomers have had... It's It might be a bit different now because of the way Giddy has emerged and yeah. the way we're probably going to see Dyson Daniel. Daniels emerge as well. Um, but, you know, having Sobi, for example, as the backup point guard at the uh, Olympics wasn't ideal, right? Having someone who's maybe a little bit more structured, a bit more comfortable on the ball, like a Mitch McCarron, like if, if Delhi's not up to it, potentially, then McCarron might be kind of in that vein of a guy of, you know, a point guard leader who can at least... Kind of rally the the young point guards around him as well, like a, a really solid backup point guard. And he was awesome with the Boomers and a, and a young Boomers team. So again, like we talk about all the things that he did and can potentially do for this Adelaide team this year, but he's also just an awesome leader. And everyone that was around that Boomers team just could not speak highly enough about him. So I, yeah, back to the original point. If you're an Adelaide 36ers fan, I think you would be struggling to contain the excitement, regardless of whether there was any trepidation about what's to come yeah. uh, coming back to this game against Tasmania. Should we should we uh, segue into the Jack Jumpers, though? Yeah, let's let's do it. Because, yeah, okay. So the Jack Jumpers are so interesting. They've, they're the, they were the only team that had two games this round. Um, they lost both of them. And they quite frankly look bad in both of them. Yes. Um, and it's, they look, it's not just that they look bad. They look bad relative to how they looked all preseason, which they guarded really well as a unit, which is how this team has to defend, right? I, I thought they would have been a top two or three defensive team just 
by how Scott Roth gets these guys to guard as a team. They don't look like they're doing that. Um, and then offensively, they they are not moving the ball. They're not getting through their sets in the same way that they did over the preseason. And I don't think that's something – I don't think that it's the other teams that are negating that sort of thing. Because quite frankly, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, who they lost to currently, as, you know, as currently built with all the injuries they have, are not a good team either. And so there are, there are some problems there that they're going to have to figure out real quick. Otherwise, they're going to be in too deep of a hole and they don't have enough talent to be able to, to fall into a hole like that. Um, and then I'm also really confused about the import situation as far as, you know, Rashad Kelly is getting, what, 20-odd minutes a game. I, I'm, I'm under the impression, I'm told there's nothing wrong with him as far as an injury is concerned. So I just, I just have a feeling like these imports don't know where they fit in what the jack jumpers do um they don't know where they can find their spots in this structure um which is like the opposite of for example what like perth has built with bryce cotton where he knows where to get his within what the wildcats do but the tasmania jack jumpers run this flow offense and milton doyle and shark kelly sort of just the ball sticks when it gets to them and i feel like they've got to figure that out real quick kelly is interesting because just based on purely the role and we probably need to see a little bit more of him to to understand what the the true comparison is but Mikhail McIntosh found himself in the exact same position last year where he didn't really it, it was really hard to see what his role was in a similar position on the floor they're playing a lot of guards so the idea of starting Majette, Kenyon, Doyle, McVeigh probably more of a forward and and you know obviously he's going to be a starter in this team but Starting Kenyon is interesting, whether they would go a little bit bigger. But the funny thing is that last year when they started off so slow, it was so clear why they were losing games because the offense was was terrible to start the season. And it was a grind the whole way through. But typically when they shot the ball well from three, they just won because the defense was so good. So in the two games so far against the Phoenix, the Jack Jumpers shoot 12 for 27 from three, so 44%. And then against Cairns in a game where they give up 106 points. And at times it was it was too easy for the Taipans. They shot 11 for 27, so 40% again. I don't have their record in front of me for what their record was when they shot 40 plus percent from three. But I would imagine it was an extremely high winning percentage last year because they could lean on the defense. Yep. So this, even though there will be some discussion while they started slow last year, this feels a little bit different. Yeah, it's... I don't know if it's because of the talent, um, especially their local talent. They're missing Clint Steinle right, right now. They're right. missing Sam McDaniel. Um, but I think it's also just people like figuring them out a little bit, um, especially it's weird. Like Josh Majette, for example, is someone who I thought is going to come in and be really solid as their point guard, right? He, he doesn't have to come in and drop 30, but he's really, he just has to be solid and, and get them through their stuff. And right now it seems like he's being rushed and I don't know why. Um, because he's a lot better than that. Um, but like you said, they're, they're not shooting it too poorly. I think that there are some issues on that end, but everything is on the other end. Um, it's all defensive for them. They're giving up layups. It's just, it's very unlike a Scott Roth team right now. Um, I think Kenyon said it in the presser as well. Yeah, good quote. Do you have the quote? Uh, not not exactly, but just nah. based around that they were normally so connected and now it just feels like they're going one-on-one on, one on one across the board. Yeah, and that's that's clearly what it looks like too um i also just don't think they've figured out their rota- i don't think scott roth has figured out the rotations at this point yet 
Um, guys are still figuring out where they're going to get theirs. It's they they seem a bit behind, which is weird because they look like the most prepared going into the season based on what we saw in the preseason. Yeah, I had them down as the team that was being overlooked the most in the three by three. Did did you? Me too. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it did make perfect sense. And by the way, I put myself in the bracket that was overlooking them just because you looked at some of the other teams on paper, you understood how much of a grind it was for the entire season last year for the Jack Jumpers, and you wondered whether they could repeat it. So anyway, obviously there's a long way to go, but they have to go to New Zealand. So that's going to be it's the first game back in New first Zealand. First game back in New Zealand. So like two years. Cop yeah. that, Jack Jumpers. <laughs> and then they come home, but they've got the Bullets, who, as you said, maybe it's going to be a bit of a slow start for the Bullets as everyone gets back healthy, with Baines and Sobey in particular, and even Tyler Johnson, who just hasn't played a lot of basketball. So that might take a little bit of time, but that's not an easy two games. Especially considering... Uh their biggest weakness right now, which I think is their size. Yeah. And right. so going up Very against someone right. like Derek Pardon, who just eats up 23 boards, and 12 against United. Um, and then against Aaron Baines, who is Aaron Baines, it's it's looking grim. They could they could drop into like an 0 4 hole. And that's it's not just tough to get out of, but that does something to your like your psyche as a team. Like that can your your confidence can drop significantly at that point. And for a team that that doesn't have the talent to overcome you know a bad mentality for a game or two like talent can't go and win them a game like Bryce Cotton can't go and win them a game um that's it's a bit scary for them they, they could drop off real quick if, if they don't sort their stuff out so episode two back in this podcast for after a lengthy break for me and you Olgs, and you just continually keep setting me up perfectly so you mentioned Bryce Cotton so ah. and and I don't know how many uh plugs we're technically allowed to do for our own work but you wrote a good story about Bryce Cotton last week, which you can check out, ESPN.com.au, just about the pursuit of getting back to the top, whether that's playoffs, championship, MVP. And I, I said this to you, like when anytime you get the chance to talk to Bryce Cotton, it's so fascinating because he is a quiet assassin and everything that he says feels so calculated and reserved. But inside, you know that he wants to kill everyone. <laughs> he is you know, like incredibly confident um and speaking with him in person is also weird because his frame is so little yeah he's a, a smaller guy but he is extremely confident he's like one of two guys in the league who you can't give any space to which is unreal it's i think it's him and golding um but he seems to be kind of at a different place in his mindset like he he's so comfortable in this league where that he he can do whatever he wants. And the fact that Danny Mills and John really have built, I think, a really balanced team around him. I, they had a really good game against the Bullets. And granted, the Bullets still have some kings to work out. Baines are still getting back to it. Sobe, we, we mentioned him. But the way this team has been built around Bryce is almost perfect. Um, and which is why I had him as my MVP going into the season. I think it, I think it will be him because I think the Wildcats are going to be that good as well. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if the, the Wildcats ceiling is, the I think, the highest out of any team, just based on the, the guys who they've put in certain roles. Um, if, you know, if Corey Webster is playing at his best, if Luke Travers keeps playing the way he's, he's coming off the bench and he's like a triple-double threat, right? If Brady Maddock can learn how to play in the league, he's still he's, he's not a good defender in this league yet. Um, and I think he's still finding his spots offensively, but 
there are really good signs out of everyone. And Bryce Cotton is just like the giant head of that snake. So understanding that we just discussed Mitch McLaren dropped 16, six, uh, 16 assists in that game against Phoenix. Luke Travis had seven assists in this game, only played 23 minutes. He's always got the ball in his hands. I wonder if anyone's ever led the league in assists off the bench. Good point. Because he's a chance to get seven or eight a game with how much the ball is going to be in his hands. He's so smart. He sees the floor really well. And I love the fact that he's not a score-first guy as well. I mean, he finished this one three for three from the field. And a lot of the times it's going to be layups, transition stuff. And, you know, he talks about the threes all the time. I think it gets spoken about a little bit too much, as it does with with most young players. But we know that's gross. So as we wrap up with Perth, so Bryce Cotton, 23 points. 12 rebounds, by the way. You talk about his stature, but 12 <laughs> rebounds. He's always been a good rebounder. Six assists and six steals. So overall in this game, though, the big difference for really a game that was not... It wasn't a blowout throughout yeah. the four quarters. They win 87-73 in the they end. They got down to single digits in that fourth quarter. 24 turnovers to nine bullets. Uh, that That's where they'll look back. And again, it's probably some of the, the chemistry guys getting comfortable on the floor together only a few games at the blitz yeah well it's weird like the bullets we always spoke about how how good it would be for the bullets to get a point guard next to nathan Sobey. they didn't do it like we, we spoke where well, tyler johnson is talented and i think he's still finding out how to be good in this league yeah. and I, I and there's a good there's reason to believe that he will be but he's not a point guard he never has been right um and so you have a team that doesn't have a point guard tanner krebs is not a, a point guard at this level just yet um, like Jason Gaddy is probably the most capable point guard, but I, I don't think he's a starting level guard on, especially on that team. I don't think he starts over Johnson or Sobey. Um, so, so that's a thing too. I also don't think we should overestimate the production that Baines is going to have. Aramis is not going to go out and get twenty and ten. He's going to go and get what twelve and six and deter a whole lot of shots at the rim on the other end. Mm-hmm. Like that's his value. Um, so. I'm still confident in that team because I, I I do like their depth, even though their depth is a bit young. Um, I think they will figure it out. And I think Sobi has to come back to full health. I think it might take a bit of time, um, but I think he can get there. Um, but they have ways to go. When you spoke about Travers as could he be, again, I don't know if someone's led the league in assists off the bench. Has, has anyone ever been the defensive player of the year off the bench? Because he's that's something that he's really stepped up with. And I think he has a good chance at being that because um, he just hit the game. He's just playing the game at his own speed at this point. It's like, he's looking really, really impressive. He's guarding opposition ones, which in the NBL is the point guards league. That's, that's tough to do. So he's this six, nine forward wing thing who is guarding <laughs> opposing import point guards. And is also like the facilitator on the other end. He's just weirdly unique. I'm going to say something that could potentially be a dumb question, but I just can't ask it. I just can't get my mind to think back to last season. Did Shaley start or did he come off the bench behind Daly? Um, They they mixed it up. Yeah. So sometimes there was no kind of of set starting lineup. It was sometimes Daly. Generally, it would be Daly and Golding as that backcourt. Sometimes Shea would come in. Um, I think Daly Daly had an injury at some point. And so Shea started those games. And then sometimes they had like a little, a three-headed guard situation to start games too. So they all started, um, but it was, it, there was no set lineup. Um, I, I wonder, I don't know actually if that's going to be the case this year. I, I wonder if they'll. Well, he did win rotate. best six man, didn't he? So 
That is true. Um, but he did start some games, and I think he, yeah. sta- he started some games not just because like because of an incident. Like, no, he started right. because he started Dean started in some games, um, and I don't know if that will necessarily be the case this year. There's a very good chance. The expectation going in was that Shea is the starting point guard, and that XRM would come off the bench and be that like spark plug. Um, XRM went and dropped 32 and nine assists in his <laughs> first game, um, kind of lifted them to a win in overtime. So. I don't think I, I I don't know if we should overreact to like a single game like that, but he'll make us ask the question. Well, they did mention it on the broadcast, but he had some big games at John Kane Arena, so maybe maybe that's just a building for Ratan Mays. Just maybe, start him in home games. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that could work. But Shay Ely, by the way, before we move on from United, they beat the Breakers in overtime. Um, probably more to talk about that team as the weeks go on, but Shay uh, Ely's concussion oh it's it's always concerning and it's been lingering well it's because from what i was told he got concussed at a practice session and then he had a, a little setback where he's sort of easing his way back into it and then got kind of like hit again and again, I, don't, I don't think it's like a what what delhi went through for example where it was, right. was like a debilitating thing i think it was just like a setback um so i don't think there's too much concern to be had um unless and especially if XRM keeps playing the way he is. Um, but I do, it does scare me when the non Xavier Rattan Mays minutes, um, they've got to figure out what they're going to do there. Cause I, I don't think that like the Lockie Barker minutes are not it for me. Just cause he's not, I don't think he's a point guard in the NBL. Um, I, I don't mind him as like someone off the ball in stretches, um, but they, they just need someone else to handle the ball there, whether it's just, I don't know, like Rajon Tucker taking the reins and letting him do his thing for a little bit while X rests. Um, but it, it would be very good for them to have Shea back. All right, let's move on to the defending champs. Yeah. Uh, this was, it's always an interesting game when they play Illawarra, but for the Kings. So I still, you spoke about the ceiling for the Perth Wildcats. I think that's very valid. Because there is so much unknown across the league, I think, you know, we did some preseason predictions. I think I still said Kings for the title, but I was kind of, I wouldn't say I was 100% rock solid confident on that. But the import situation is fascinating. I mean, so first of all, you, you keep Xavier Cooks, which was just huge. He was sensational in this game, as he really always is. Yeah. DJ Vasiljevic, again, didn't quite, didn't really shoot the ball. Great, but had that a little burst, which is enough to separate yourself, or in this case, get a team back into the contest, which he did in the third quarter with those three straight triples. But the imports were going to be fascinating. Justin Simon is kind of a known commodity to Australian basketball fans. We know what he can bring. I'm really high on him. Suarez, the big man, I think the Kings, by their own admission, understand that yeah, replacing Jarrell Martin was not something they were going to be able to do easily. He's not Jarrell Martin. I don't think he had a great game in this one. He only played 22 minutes. But Derek Walton Jr. is the interesting one. So there's been so much talk about he's a pass-first point guard. He's going to facilitate. He's different to Jalen Adams. But even... So I was in Sydney for the Women's World Cup, which was fantastic, by the way. And I just bumped into a few people from the, the Sydney... Let's say the wider Sydney Kings. Sure. And they all said, when I was asking them about how they thought the team was looking, how the imports were looking... Multiple people said there's all this talk about Derek Walton Jr. as a pass first point guard, but all I've seen is this guy wants to score. 
Well, that's what the I feel like that's what the Kings were saying. Yeah, there was. There, I think they tried to temper expectations because yeah. he wasn't Jalen. That's Harris. right. Yeah, but that, that's they were like they told us he's, he's defensive. Yeah. He's passed. He's, he'll be a floor general. And then throughout all the throughout the blitz, all he's trying to do is pull up for three. That's right. <laughs> and in this game, he's hitting like like threes off the catch. Like he's he's looking like a legitimate. When we talk about those legitimate point guards that come into the league, it was like Casper Wears mm-hmm. first two seasons in Melbourne or Jerome Randall when he first got here, Bryce, like Jalen Adams. He's looking like he could be one of those guys, which will be obviously huge for this team because filling that Jalen Adams hole, like you're filling the finals MVP, right? Um, well, like the MVP, excuse me. Um, like that's tough to fill. And so if they've done that, again, it's one game. Yeah, I don't want to overreact. But it's important not to not react, right? It was this was legitimate, and it was in a really hostile environment too. That looked like a really cool place to play. Um, that's like that's a that's a fun first game to be a part of, like first real competitive game for for Derek Walton Jr. It's a Jalen Adams line, isn't it? Thirty two points, eight assists, five threes. That's right. So he shot shot the ball really well. So that's that's a nice start for the Kings, really, in a game that, as you pointed to, was challenging. They needed to. Pull it out. They should have lost that game. Yeah, they should have, and they pulled it out in the fourth quarter, which is a blow for the Hawks because we've discussed them a lot. Do you have any thoughts on the Hawks? I mean, overall, they probably look at it and say Tyler Harvey and Justin Robertson, eleven for thirty-nine combined from the field. Uh, Again, it's only one game, but to beat the teams that we think are going to be in the postseason, those two guys are the ones that are going to have to score. They're going to need more than 28 points on poor shooting. And unfortunately, I think that'll be a trend. Right. Uh, that's That was the expectation going in. These these two guys, they jack up shots. And in the same way we talk about Craig Randall, as he can go 9 for 17 Hot against the Suns. streaky. Yeah. He can also go, what, 2 of 20 against what, the jack jumpers, right? So I think it'll be the same with these two guys. Um, I'm very happy for Lockie Dent. Yeah, played because well. Because... Shot it well. Shot it really well. Um, he was doing that with Brisbane and then be all on North. So, like, shout out to him. He's, that, that's that's a really cool moment for him. Um, but I think that's – him doing that is weird because it's indicative of, like, what, what is this team going to do when their main guys are off? Because you because up until this point, they'd been leaning on Alex Madronia as their backup one sort of thing. Um, but I, I don't know. They're going to lean into Lockie Dent a bit more. Is he kind of – is he a floor general at – I, do, I just, uh, they don't have the depth to, to really make any noise. So they're sort of relying on Tyler Harvey um, and Justin Robinson to have these big shooting nights. And I think some nights they're just going to be off the mark. And it's, it's, just, it's just a tough thing to have the identity of your team be around, which is just two guys who are going to shoot tough shots. So what have we missed here? Cairns Taipans, have you got any thoughts on the Taipans? They played super fast. Got up a bunch of threes. Again, like, cut the Jack Jumpers defense to absolute ribbons. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I I don't know if we're in a position to make you know grand sweeping statements about the Taipans just yet, because they played against a Jack Jumpers defense that was quite bad. So they've got so, so the one thing I will say is they do have, and and I would say talking about teams that might be hot and cold, they've got significantly more offensive firepower than they had last year. DJ Hogue, we saw him. Yeah. in a game at the Blitz where he hit five threes and a half and he was just awesome. Like, he's he's legit. Yeah, they've got a lot of guys who can create 
for themselves or for others, Pinder looks like Pinder looks like a threat, which is really cool because two years ago he was almost out of the league, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, DJ Hogue, like you said, and everyone's going to say it, he just plays at his own pace. Um, he can he can sort of get what he wants, and when he's when he's in that zone, it's kind of over for you. Um, it's just about whether they can consistently like they're going to shoot a lot of threes. They're going to try and run a lot. It's just whether they have the talent to, to do that, if they, if they can sustain that. Um, I'm interested because someone like Mirko Jarek played six-odd minutes off the bench. Um, Joan Antonio didn't play in this game. Is he going to be part of their regular rotation? But the more interesting thing about this is they played seven guys effectively last night, which is really which is not usual. That's a playoff rotation. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know how sustainable that is throughout a season. They, those guys are talented, but again, I don't know if the top end talent is good enough to make real noise in the NBL. But it's it's way too early to make like grand sweeping statements about this team. Well, for now at least, they're on top of the top of the standings, so they'll claim that. Oh, because they scored heaps. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Undefeated. Okay, and Adelaide's at the bottom. Adelaide is obviously zero and zero. Even though do better, they might have had the biggest win. Depending on who you ask. They probably had the most famous win in the history of the NBL. They had the win that made the US take most notice. I don't think there was yeah. too many NBA players watching Taipans Jack Jumpers. No. But do you want do you want hope is like let's just to circle back to that to finish off. I hope there are Australia has a lot of NBA fans. Um, Sydney especially. It's a, it's very much an NBA city, whereas I think Melbourne's more of a sort of grassroots basketball, NBLE sort of city. Um, I hope those NBA fans in Sydney and across Australia saw this and realised that the NBL is a legitimately good quality league and that it's worth putting your eyes on. Um, that's all. So round two starts on Thursday. So this is the fun thing with the NBL. Most weeks... You've got basketball rolling through until Monday and then you know you tip off later in the week. So Tuesday, you listen to us. That's right. Wednesday, Tuesday. you rest. Thursday, back at it. Well, Tuesday, you read 3 by 3 on ESPN.com.au with myself, true. you, and uh, Peter Hooley. Yes. Jumps in, throws his hat in the ring as well. Uh, but Thursday night, Illawarra Hawks are hosting Southeast Melbourne. Joe Chi back next week, by the way, it sounds like. He's going to play yeah. next week, round three, and they're going to get Trey Cal back. They're going to get Ryan Brokoff back. Gary Brown is still on the shelf. So again, those names are why that loss for the Tassie Jack Jumpers was a really disappointing one, even though they had a couple of guys out themselves. So if the Phoenix can pull off a, a road win here, they're really just trying to weather the storm. So it would be impressive if they could get off to a 2-0 start. The Hawks looking for their first win. That's on ESPN, 7.30 p.m., uh, every Tuesday, we should remind everyone that we're doing this podcast. So if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do that. And Oles, thanks for coming to my uh, apartment here in Melbourne. And hopefully next week, we're actually in the studio. I hope so. We hope to bring a ton of video content to this as well. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me in. No, it was a pleasure. <laughs> we should go get some lunch or something after this. So every Tuesday, as I said, this NBL podcast will be on. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts soon. Hopefully some stuff on social media as well. Check out all your NBL news at ESPN.com.au. Round two starts Thursday night, as I said. We'll catch you guys next Tuesday.